0: Amen. I want to open this up with some lyrics from one of my favorite songs. And I've titled this sermon, Friend of Sinners. And if you want a subtitle for it, it's simply Madness. And uh, there is a song from Hillsong United, and the lyrics go something like this. It says, when justice called for all my debts, the friend of sinners came instead. It says, your ways are higher, your thoughts are wilder, love came like madness. Madness poured out in blood-washed romance. It makes no sense, but this is grace. And then it says, I know you're here with me in this place. So I want to talk about that line. When justice called for all my debts, the friend of sinners came and said, what does that mean? What does that even look like? How does that apply to us today? And here's what it looks like. On Good Friday, justice came begging for all of us. It was almost like the gavel of the universe was hit down and it says, today you owe a debt that you cannot pay and today you will pay up. Today, all the sins, all your wrongdoings, everything that you've ever done, every lustful thought, every lie, every cheating thing that you have ever done. Good Friday came along before Jesus died on the cross and it says this, you're going to pay up. But then something incredible happened and this is why I call it madness. The friend of sinners, Jesus, the perfect lamb, savior of the universe, said, hold on, they don't have to pay a debt. Because at the end of the day, they're not going to be able to pay the debt that is owed. Because the wrath that God the Father is about to pour out upon his son, there is no way that any of us could take that. So it says this, that the friend of sinners, Jesus, the friend of sinners, stood in our place and he said, I'll die in their place. Now, imagine it this way. I know sometimes, especially in our culture, the cross, it's just become like a figment of our imagination. It's become a decoration. It's become something that we put on the wall. So let me give you a little bit of modern context, and maybe this will help you. Imagine it this way. You are in about the 1940s. Hitler is wreaking havoc on Germany. He is telling Jews, hey, listen, we're gonna, you go in that room, and we're going to get you cleaned up, and we're going to give you a shower. And they walk into this room. They strip them down completely naked, ashamed, men, women, and children all together in one room, naked. And then what does he do? He flips on the gas, and it's known as the gas chambers, and they suffocate in 10 minutes. Now, what happens? Now, imagine it this way. In that moment, if Hitler or a Nazi German soldier were to look at you and say, Hey, listen, you have one option. You can either go into these chambers and die, or your friend right there can take your place. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I'd be like, yo, I've seen how people die in there. I ain't going in there. Like, I love you, bro, but I am not taking your place, right? So the cross is the equivalent of us wearing a gash chamber around our neck. That's the equivalent of it. When Jesus says, listen, I'll step in. And the way, I don't know if you know this, the only reason it's called Good Friday is because it was good for us, but not him. At the end of the day, it was good because Jesus paid a debt that we could not pay At the end of the day, the cross is pure madness. It's insanity. It makes no sense at all. Think about it this way. The perfect, sinless savior, a king, murdered, not because the accusations against him are true, but because the accusations against us are true. And so Jesus says, I'll take their place. I'll stand in their place. So I need you to hear this this morning. This is what the cross says to you right now. Despite your past. Despite what you've done, despite your marriage being a wreck, despite the choices that you've made that you, can't, that you hate yourself for, despite you laying your head down on the pillow every night, having regrets and guilt and shame, Jesus says, all of that, I'm going to pay for it. The most beautiful thing about the cross is because God is all-knowing, he knows past, present, and future. When he went to the cross, he already died for the mistakes that you have not made yet. He already paid a price for the things and the sins that you have not committed yet. I love that phrase, friend of sinners. Because at the end of the day, the night before Jesus was crucified, he was actually betrayed by a friend for 30 pieces of silver. You know the story, Judas, right? one of his closest friends, one of his closest allies. This is a man who knows Jesus. This is a man who has stayed in the same hotel with Jesus. This is the man who has broken bread with Jesus. This is the man who has gone down, and he's sat at burger zone, he's ate that spicy chicken dinner that is so good with Jesus. <laughs> this is the same man. And what happens? He bribes him. He Say, hey, if you give up Jesus, you tell us his location. 30 pieces of silver. And the thing, the reason that I love that title, The Friend of Sinners, is Jesus went to the cross, not so wounded by what Judas had done for him, but he went to the cross knowing that Judas had portrayed him, and he said, I'll still die for him to make a way. I'll still lay down my life so that Judas can have a way to the Father. So Good Friday, it was the day that Jesus died on the cross. It was the day that Jesus paid a debt that none of us could pay. It was a great debt that we all owed. And then there's something that happened. We don't talk about it too often. Then there's Saturday. Saturday is the day of doubt. Saturday is the day of grief. Saturday is the day of pain. Saturday is the day that you are not really sure if Jesus is who he said he really was. Think about it. There's all these prophecies that Jesus would die, but he would be risen, he would come back. Now think about it. Your whole life, I don't know about you, every time I have seen someone die, or I've been to a funeral, they're still dead after I leave, right? So you imagine walking away, Jesus gets taken down from the cross, and they put him in the grave, and you're mourning at the loss of your friend, your Savior, and all of a sudden, Saturday happens, and there is this doubt that enters into your mind. Wait, hold on. Jesus is dead. Is he really going to come back is, is he really going to fulfill the promises? Is he really coming back to save us? Or did death actually defeat him? And, and the reason I talk about it this way is because I believe that many of you are stuck at Saturday. See, Jesus paid a debt for us that was so great, but we're so stuck at Saturday that we don't even focus our eyes on the, record, on the resurrection. We're stuck in that Saturday moment where we feel like our lust. Our anxiety, our fears, our failures, that's all we can see. We feel like every time we fail, every time we fall short, every time we blow it, we're stuck in that Saturday moment that there is no resurrection. Jesus has forgotten about me. He doesn't care about me. It's over. And the truth is, I think many of us find ourselves in that boat today. We find ourselves in the boat of Saturday. And we've forgotten the resurrection. We've forgotten that Jesus actually defeated death. See, there was a prophecy from King David a millennium before Jesus actually died on the cross, and it's found in Psalm 1610, and it says this, watch this, this is David prophesying what would happen. He said, for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your holy one to rot in the grave. I love this line, and I'll tell you why I love it. Because what David is saying, even on Saturday, God is going to make a promise to not leave you there. Man, you feel, you feel fearful, you feel anxiety, you feel fear, you feel hopeless right now. Some of you find yourselves in situations, and maybe you're here for the first time this Sunday, and you're saying, I'm going to put my stake in the ground of God. If you can talk to me, then I'll listen. But if you don't say anything, I'm never walking back in the doors of a church again. Listen, some of you are in here for the first time and and you didn't know what to expect. And what is this church about? What are they going to do? What are they going to say? Can God really speak to me? You see, the day on Sunday that Jesus was resurrected, it was the day that death no longer had the final say. John Mark McMillan, in a song, he said, It is literally the day that death died. Isn't the irony in that? The day that death died, the day that death no longer had the final say. The day that Jesus came back and all of the promises were fulfilled. Hey, I didn't just die to come and pay a debt, but I actually died so that I could make a bridge. So that one day you could get to the Father. So that one day you could have hope. So that even this day, right now, so that many of you can walk out of these doors and experience a grace that you have never felt before. So before I go any further in this, I believe that today, Jesus, keep in mind with this title, Friend of Sinners Wants Your Ear. Listen, if you would just give me 20 minutes of your time, and my prayer is this, it would not be my words that are communicated, but that God would speak to you. Because look, I I know how this goes. When we started this church about two and a half years ago, One of my main concerns about even becoming a pastor is instantaneously in that moment, sometimes people write you off because they think that you are holier than thou, right? I can't tell him my fears. I can't tell all all this kind of, and and sometimes pastors create this aura about them. Can can I be the first one to tell you? Maybe you've never heard a pastor tell you this. I sin too. (laughs) I'm not perfect. I blow it. I need the cross just as much as you do. I need the resurrection just as much as you do. There are moments in my own life when I look at it and I agree with the the words of Paul when he says, I am the chief of sinners. I find myself in those moments sometimes, but I believe this. If you would give Jesus your attention, your ears this morning, that maybe, just maybe for some of you, he wants you to walk out of these doors a completely different person. Could it be that today you're not here by chance? Could it be that today... God designed it for you to be here on purpose because he wants your destiny to be changed. He wants your future to look a whole lot different. So let me start with this. First point that I want to make is simply this. Jesus enjoyed being around sinners, and they enjoyed being around him. Jesus enjoyed being around sinners, and they actually enjoyed being around him. So, I want to share a story with you, and I think you'll find it interesting. It's in Luke chapter 9, I mean, sorry, Luke 19, verses 1 through 3. And this is a story about a man named Zacchaeus. If you ever grew up in a Baptist church or Assemblies of God church and you went to Sunday school, you probably heard this story. And they probably illustrated it on the felt board. We don't do that here. Anyway, Luke 19, 1 through 3. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. So, let me paint the picture real quick. Jesus is walking into town. And the streets are crowded with people. Everybody's wanting to have some time with Jesus. Everybody's wanting to touch him. Everybody's wanting to have a conversation with him. And then it says this there was this man named Zacchaeus. He was, watch this, the chief tax collector in the region. And he had become very rich. He tried to get a good look at Jesus. Let's pause right there. So, he's the chief tax collector. Now let me, just for a moment, if you don't know anything about this culture, what Zacchaeus did is he was the one responsible collecting money for Herod, okay? And he would go around and he would collect money, and then if he was smart enough, what he would do is instead of saying, hey, you owe me 20 pieces of silver, he says, you owe me 30. And so what he do? He'd give 20 to Caesar and he'd pocket 10 for himself. And so these people, when they would see a chief tax collector, they're seeing a huge house, a bunch of nice cars, and they're going, you're getting rich off of my expense. So can you imagine, do you think this guy was a popular guy in town? You know, he's driving his Bentley around. He's like, yeah, I bought that with the money you gave me last week. He's, he's not a favorited guy. He's not a liked guy. They actually call him the chief tax collector. And this day, he was a disgusting person to be around. But there was something about this Jesus that Zacchaeus wanted to see. What was it about Jesus that even the most notorious of sinners wanted to get a look at him? They wanted to be around him. And I think that's how some of us feel today. Maybe that's even what brought you here. You feel like, man, I don't know if I can walk in the doors of a church because I feel like as soon as I walk down, that place is going to burn down. I've literally heard that example over and over again. I can't tell you. I've invited so many people. And they like, pastor, I would love to come to your church. But you know what? As soon as I walk through those doors, God is just going to smite me. He's going to burn that place down. But what was it about Zacchaeus, the chief of sinners, the most notorious of sinners in that day? And he says, you know what? There's something about Jesus that I need to find out. Despite all my shame, despite all my past, despite all my history, I need to meet Jesus. Now, if you were a notorious sinner, do you think that you would do everything that you could to avoid somebody who was kind of looked at as perfect? Right? Right? I mean, if you are like living this lifestyle that you want nobody to know about, if you were just going off doing your own thing, you're not going to be around the good people, right? But think of Zacchaeus. He says, I want to meet Jesus, the actual definition of perfect. <laughs> he says, I need to meet Jesus. So, what was it about Jesus? Now, watch this. Zacchaeus didn't feel that he needed to hide. What was it about being around Jesus that he said, you know what, I've got some shame, I've got some guilt, but every time I'm around that man, I don't feel like I need to hide anything. What was it about Jesus that made him want to do this? Let's keep reading. Luke 19, 4 through 6. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and he called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down the tree and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and in great joy. I want to point out a few things, so just leave that scripture on the screen. Jesus knows the chief of sinners by name. Not only does he know him by name, but he says, hey, let's go have a burger together. Let's, let's go sit down. Let's, let's go talk. And the thing that I love this, he didn't say, Zacchaeus, I want, you to, I want you to tell me all about your sins, and I'm going to tell you how you can fix those. He just said, no, 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 I'm a friend of sinners. I just, act, I just want to be with you. I just want to sit with you. I just want to hear your story. I just want to have a meal together with you. There's a point to make out of this. Jesus is the one that initiates the meal and the conversation with Jesus. So what we take from this scripture is that even when you are so far away from God, God is still chasing you. See, we believe this lie over and over that when we've blown it, that when we've failed, when we've made a mistake, that God is running the opposite direction. And we buy into this lie that says, you cannot get close to God. You cannot go to church. You cannot be around people until you clean yourself up. How's that working for you? We can't clean ourselves up, can we? At the end of the day, Zacchaeus wanted to be around Jesus. Now, the other thing that I love about this story is that if you were see, especially a man who was Jesus, who was a rabbi, who was a, the savior, who was perfect, who never sinned, never made a mistake in his life, this would be the equivalent of Jesus going down in our day. If he was hanging out with Zacchaeus, it'd be the equivalent of him hanging out with a prostitute or a pimp. I'm just convinced of this. If Jesus were to dwell with us on earth today, he would probably not be in the, fa- in the places that we most commonly think he would be. Honestly, don't think he'd probably be in church most days. Man, he'd be with the people who desperately need him. He said, I didn't come, Right? For the people that don't need a doctor, I came to heal the sick. Jesus was never concerned with what others accused him of. He didn't care if people called him friend of sinners. He didn't care if people called him names. Jesus had one philosophy about his life. I will do anything outside of sin to win over the sinner. And I'm not going to do it by condemning him. I'm not going to do it by pointing out all of his sin. I'm going to do it by being his friend. Let's have a burger. Let's have a meal together. See, in the Bible, Jesus had 256 different names from the Old Testament all the way to the New Testament, from Messiah to King to Yahweh to to Savior. But scholars believe this. Friend of sinners was his favorite because he was constantly around the people that people would stick their nose up. Why is Jesus hanging out with that group of people? Why? Let's continue reading. Luke 19, 7 through 10. So watch this. Jesus is sitting at Zacchaeus's house. He's sitting on the couch that Zacchaeus bought with everybody else's money. And Jesus is sitting on it with him. And it says this, but the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. They grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor. Lord, if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, watch this, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. I love this. All Jesus did, watch this, there's no mention in the text. There's no mention in the scriptures of Jesus sitting down and saying, okay, Zach, Now that I finally got you and we're sharing this spicy chicken dinner at Chicken Zone, Burger Zone. Now that we're sharing this dinner, hey, we need to talk about you cheating on the taxes. Hey, we need to talk about, you know, that lustful thought you had last week. Hey, we need to talk about, you know, that girl that you've been sleeping with. Hey, we need he didn't do that. He just said, hey, let's sit down, let's have a meal and then watch this. Because of compassion, because of mercy, and because of grace, Zacchaeus came to his senses on his own. And he goes, that's why I was so attracted to Jesus. He never came to condemn me. He didn't came to beat me over the head of all the mistakes that I've done. He literally came to lean in, the whole reason that he died on the cross, so that he could love me, so that his grace, so that his love could pull me in. And then I would come to the place and go, that's why I've been so attracted to Jesus. He doesn't, he doesn't condemn me. He doesn't accuse me. He loves me. See, Jesus will never define you by your past. Other people will. Jesus doesn't look at your past and say, oh, well, I can't use you because you've done this, 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 and this. If that was the case, you wouldn't have a pastor. Jesus will never ever name you by your past Jesus did not see Zacchaeus and say man disgusting no he saw Zacchaeus and he says Zacchaeus I want to lean in I want to be a friend and Jesus saw Zacchaeus as a man searching for hope and security in all the wrong places and all he had to do was step up on the scene and said I'm your hope Zacchaeus I know you've been trying to find hope and I know you've been trying to find security and money, but it's not working, is it? Because you're still alone. You still don't have friends. You still feel worry, you You still deal with anxiety. And all Jesus came in to come in and say, Zacchaeus, I am hope that never leaves, that never goes away. See, when I read this story and when I see the scriptures of Zacchaeus, I always like to place myself in the scene. So imagine it this way. If Jesus thought to himself, if I could just have one meal, one meal with Zacchaeus, I know that I could change his life forever. Jesus did not condemn the sinner and did not use dinner with Zacchaeus to remind him of all of his sin. Jesus said, look, if I could have one moment with him, I know he could see the truth. Jesus was not there to accuse, but he was there to be a friend of sinners. He was there to lean in in the most darkest time of his life and said, I am your hope. So I ask you this question and the question will make sense in a minute when I read the text. But I want to ask it: where are your accusers? Where are your accusers? Because many of us are convinced that Jesus is just looking for a reason to accuse and punish us. Many of us, it's the reason we avoid church sometimes, Right? Because, man, if I come in, then Jesus is just going to slam me with all this guilt and all this shame, and I'm going to have to go out and I'm going to have to deal with that. But we must understand that God is not intimidated by our sin like we are. See, when we sin, many of us kind of go into this self pity mode, don't we? I'll always be a failure. I'll never be able to do that. I can't believe I just did that. Have you ever done something and I look back five minutes later and go, What was I thinking? What was I thinking? I was telling a story to my mom for the first time this week. I'm, I'm 30 years old now, and so you, you tell her dangerous stories like 15 years later, you know. So we were sitting in the backyard um, Friday night, and I said, hey, mom, I don't think I've ever told you this story. Did I ever tell you that story when me and Matt and Andrew and my brothers, we jumped on a train, and we rode it all the way across Jennings? She's like, what? What? And then I remember we're on the train, and we're going, like, I look at my brother Andrew. I'm like, dude, this is going fast. How are we getting off? He's like, dude, all you, I've seen it in the movies a thousand times. <laughs> he said, all you got to do is jump and roll. <laughs> oh, we jumped and rolled. And we came, I remember when we came back, we're all busted up. And I remember walking in the door and my mom's like, what happened? Like, oh, pff, skateboarding, you know. <laughs> But have you ever done something and you look back and you go, that was so stupid, show of hands, how many of have ever done that? You're like, Pastor Zach, I've never done something that stupid. <laughs> but here's the truth, when we sin, when we fall short, here's what happens, we go into this self-pity mode, I wish I would have never done that, and we allow that attitude to carry on and on and on and on, and guess what, we find ourselves stuck in Saturday over and over and over and over and over again. And you forget that Sunday happened. You forget that Jesus paid a debt that you couldn't pay. You forget that Jesus came out of the grave. He defeated death so that you could be free. So listen, you may have regrets. You may have shame. You may have guilt. But Jesus came to set you free. The scriptures say, whoever the Son of Man sets free is free Indeed. Another story in the scriptures, John 8. It's a very popular story, but hopefully I can give you some new insight into it this morning. John 8, there's a woman who's caught in adultery. She's sleeping with another man. And Jesus, watch this, Jesus, the only one who is qualified to accuse her and judge her in that moment, refuses to do so. Jesus, the only one that could ever come in to the confines of your life and say, I accuse you. He's the only one that could do it because he's the only one that's perfect. John 8, four eleven. Teacher, they said to Jesus. So you got this mob, you got this anger crowd. They dragged this woman out. She is naked. This woman was caught in the act of adultery. The first question I want to ask is, where is the man? Why isn't he accused? That's a totally different subject. This woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now watch this. They're going to speak the truth here. Oftentimes when the enemy accuses you, he's going to accuse you with a half-truth. Verse 5, the law of Moses says to stone her, and it does. So they look at Jesus, and they're trying to get him in a corner. They're trying to get him in a trap. They say, well, Jesus, the law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? Man, if I was Jesus at that point, which is why I'm not, I'd be like, son, I wrote that law. (laughs) Scratch it out. (laughs) Now watch this, verse 6. They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But I love Jesus. He just goes, okay. But Jesus stooped down, and he starts writing with his finger in the dirt. They kept demanding an answer. So now you've got this angry mob. Picture it. It is growing. They're getting intense. They're getting angry. And I want you to picture something. There's this woman in the center, naked and ashamed for what she's done. They keep demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right. The one who has never sinned, throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again. That was like drop the mic right there, right? So he stoops down, he writes in the dust again, nine. One by one, the stones start dropping. And then Jesus, he's, look, look at me, he's looking at this woman. He says, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, watch this, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? She said, no, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. So let me ask you this question. A woman caught in adultery, and Jesus looks at her, and he says, where are your accusers? They've all gone. And he goes, I don't accuse you either. Go and sin no more. You see, many of us have heard this story a thousand times, but I don't think we really understand how this applies to us. I don't know if you get this or not, but the woman in the story is you and me. So allow me to paint a picture for a moment. Imagine yourself in her place, on trial for a wrong that you have zero defense for. How do you defend yourself in the middle of the street naked? You have no defense. So when they look at you and say, were you sleeping with that man? You can't be like, there, you have nothing to say. You're defenseless. So clearly you're naked, you're alone, you're defenseless, and you rightfully deserve a stoning. And you have a mob filled with anger, surrounds you, and out of the corner of your eye you see Jesus. The one who has every right to condemn you for your sin the one who has every right to expense his wrath upon you. And in that moment, your eyes meet Jesus. Instead of seeing anger and disgust, you see compassion, you see empathy, and you see hope, and a light flickers in your eyes. And you go, wait a minute. Why is he looking at me like that? Why isn't he angry? Why doesn't he accuse me like everyone else could it be that this is the reason that so many people avoid church? Could it be that we have the thought of, well, if I stay long enough, people are going to find me out? They will find you out. But the truth is, if you know who Jesus really is, they won't deal with you harshly. Amen. At the end of the day, they want to lean in. They want to love you. Yes. See, we're often harsher judges on ourselves than God is. That woman in the story is me and you. Jesus had every right to condemn her. So if Jesus could say one thing to you right now, what would it be? In my experience, growing up in church, I think most of us would think this would be the response. Most people would expect a rebuke. Most people would expect a correction. We think that if Jesus had one shot at at fixing us, he'd start out by pointing out where we've blown it, right? Right? So maybe it looks something like this. You've got to stop losing your temper with your kids. Or maybe it's, come on, try harder, work a little bit more. You've got to be stronger. You're too weak. Stop whining. Maybe it's, oh, you looked at porn again. What were you thinking? Get your life together. But here's the truth. I think if Jesus had one shot at fixing us, he'd tell us how much he loves us. Actually, that's exactly what he did on the cross. Jesus had one shot at making a way, and that's what he did on Good Friday. He paid a debt that we couldn't pay, and on Easter Sunday, he defeated death and made a way. So I ask you the question again, where are your accusers? Because I stand here before you today to say this, wherever you're at, whatever you've done, whatever you're shameful of, Jesus does not accuse you. Jesus does not define you by your past. The reason that Easter is so good, the reason that we celebrate, the reason that we go through all of this is because at the end of the day, we want many people to walk in these doors and maybe for the first time, and hopefully it clicks for you. Hopefully you can say, man, maybe God is not who I really think he is. Maybe he's not this harsh judge in the sky just waiting to beat me. Maybe he actually wants to lean in and love me and through compassion and through grace, he pulls me in. I mean, think about all that he was willing to go through just so that you and I could have a way. Think about this for a moment. In 1 Corinthians 2.2, he's talking about Jesus. And even when he had come as a man, talking about Jesus, the savior, the one that created the earth and the stars in the sky, I'll humble myself and come to earth as a baby. So that's what they're talking about right here. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I don't know if you know anything about the cross, but it wasn't glamorous. There was nothing about the cross in Jesus' culture, in Jesus' day and age, where anyone would have been wearing a cross around their neck. The cross was a sign, it was a symbol of Roman power. You defy the Roman authority, this is what happens to you. Jesus, imagine the humility it took for Jesus to die there. Let me paint a picture for you a moment. Here he was, nailed to a cross by soldiers whom he created. Imagine the humility. He was raised up into the sky on beams of wood from trees that he made. Imagine the humility. He looked into the eyes of the people who killed him. He knew their names. He knew their histories. He knew their destinies. The creator was slain by the creation. The shepherd was slain by the sheep. Talk about obedience. Even to death on a cross. At one moment, Jesus could have blinked his eyes and everything could have been over. The humility, the love that he had for you and for me. What he was willing to endure, at the end of the day, what he was willing to endure, endure is God the Father had to pour out his wrath. And whether, rather than wiping all of us out, Jesus said, I'll endure it. I'll take it. The creator of life submitted to death. This is the ultimate humiliation. See, Caesar ruled by putting others on the cross, but Jesus ruled by putting himself there. And here's the beauty of it. 2,000 years later, people don't worship Caesar. They worship a Jesus who humbly died on a cross because he loved us so much. See, the church has outlasted the Roman Empire it's outlasted every test of time, and it will still be here when the world is burning down. That is the joy. That is the wonder. Those are the things that should ignite our hearts daily, the reality of what Jesus has done for you and me. Listen, I know some of you are in here today and you say, "Man, I, I just I don't know Zach." I don't know if God can love me that much. You don't know what I've done. I don't, but Jesus does. And if he is who he really says he is, when he hung on that cross, he knew every mistake, insecurity, fear, anxiety, and failure that you would ever commit, and he still chose to put himself there. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. It says, "The lower he stoops to save us, the higher we ought to lift him in reverence." And the lower Jesus put himself, the higher we ought to lift him." So I want to close with those lines again, and maybe they'll make a little bit more sense. When justice called for all my debt, the friend of sinners came instead. Your ways are higher, your thoughts are wilder. Love came like madness, poured out in blood-washed romance. It makes no sense, but this is grace. And I know that you're with me here in this place right now. Listen, wherever you're at, whatever you're struggling with, whatever you're walking through, Jesus is here. Jesus is here. And he has no intentions of abandoning you or leaving you. I don't know what your family looked like. I don't know what kind of history you've been through. But I'm here to tell you this. Whatever you've walked through, whatever you've done, Jesus is a friend to sinners. And thank God he is. before before Jesus ever deals with anything in your life, he will always lean in first with grace and compassion and mercy. Look, and sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it doesn't feel good. But at the end of the day, the only reason for any reason that Jesus would somewhat wound us It's because his ways are higher and he understands things that we don't. And every single time that we walk through tests and trials, it's only because he sees a better outcome than we do. So you may be walking through something right now and you're saying, why? If you would submit and surrender your life to Jesus right now, I guarantee you life would make a whole lot more sense. Can I just speak plainly to some of you? You've been trying too long by yourself and you're reaching a point where you're about to burn out. You're reaching a point where you feel like hope is gone. And I can tell you this, there's nothing outside of those doors. There's nothing in this world that is gonna give you the love, the compassion, the mercy, the hope that you so desire outside of Jesus Christ. Can I tell you, I'm not a pastor today because I have a great gift. I'm not a pastor today because I felt like from a young age, this is what I was called, I'm a pastor because Jesus saved a reckless sinner like me. I just want to tell everybody what he's done for me. Because he can do the same thing for you. His ways are higher. Jesus died on a cross for you. For you. For you. Regardless of what your emotions tell you, regardless of what you feel right now, it does not nullify what Jesus did. Jesus dying on a cross, resurrecting from a grave will always be greater than your emotions and how you feel. Those are the facts.